You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their story. Coming up. Uh, And I saw her kind of like hit the ground and bounce. And uh, I tried to land nearby her opposite direction she was kind of kind of my windsock i was like i'm not gonna jump that i'm not gonna land in that direction so i landed fine ran up to her and she was crying and normally like i've seen it before she, you know sprained ankle she wasn't happy with the flight or something and she's a bit upset i thought it was that i thought it was you know no issue maybe sprained ankle at the worst and i saw blood coming out of the zip on her wingsuit um, so I unzipped the leg wing on the wingsuit and her shin just, just the skin on her shin just flopped down. I'm John Horsfall and on this weekly podcast I talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders and many more. But what is left for the adventurers and explorers in the 21st century? Well, let's find out. My next guest is an alpinist and base jumper who is pioneering base jumps all over the world. On the podcast today, we talk about some of his incredible experiences. So I am delighted to introduce Tim Howell to the podcast. Uh, The best place I always like to start is at the beginning and about you and your sort of journey to how you became this pioneer of base jumping. I mean, base jumping is quite a, uh, a new sport. So I think if you, I mean, there's, there's so many countries that have never been base jumped in uh, and so many cliffs and objects and, and stuff that have never been jumped. So I think it's, it potentially can be quite easy to be a pioneer in the sport. But I mean, for me, that's, that's kind of my niche is to, because I, I really enjoy the climbing and the mountaineering that goes with it. So my niche is really to, to, to go out and explore these areas that 
um you know rarely see climbing let alone base jumping so it's and it, it that all came from climbing like i've been climbing for a long time um but it, i've never really got that good at climbing like i've always stayed within my within a grade bracket but i've done all different types of disciplines you know from from big wall to aid climbing ice climbing um so that really complements the base jumping uh, and the first time i saw a base jumper was when i was climbing in in thailand in tonsai and that was really the the spark that started the idea of you know you can climb up stuff and jump off it at the end Wow. So that's where the sort of initial, because you started your career in the sort of Royal Marines, did you not? Yeah, I had, so I, I finished my A-levels and then lived in South Africa for two years. Uh, and that definitely started the, the adventurous lifestyle, you know, living, living in the bush for two years at the age of 19. So it was, yeah, saw and did a lot of things out there. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, and there, yeah, I started climbing out there as well. Did did quite a bit of climbing. Um, but that all kind of fell apart, and uh, <laughs> for various reasons. And then I decided, yeah, the next step would be to join the Royal Marines. I knew my dad when I came back would be like, "What are you doing for career?" So I just uh, Marines. I'll join the Marines. <laughs> and I suppose with the Marines, that's sort of where you got a let's say a sort of grounding in this outdoor sort of lifestyle would you say or was it more with Kenya and you already had it within you I, I think I definitely had it within me my, my dad was in the military as well so you know we would go camping at the weekend but it wouldn't be camping it'd be under a bivy under a sheet under a top all in for the night and it's and South Africa was you know definitely part of my adventurous life and you know, I, I, when I was training in the Royal Marines, I'd be, you know, on sentry at night listening to an owl and my, my sentry buddy would think it was a wolf because he had never been camping in the UK before or, you know, never been outside, never understood these sort of things. So I think for some people, training was definitely a huge eye opener <laughs> into like the outdoors. But for me, I think it was the, the outdoor sort of lifestyle was already there for sure. Amazing. So in Thailand, this is where it sort of you first discovered it. And from there, were you just hooked? You were sort of intrigued and wanted to learn more and more about the sport in general? Yeah, I, I, I had 50 skydives already at that point. Um, because base jumping had always been sort of an idea. But as soon as I saw, you know, somebody step off a 150 meter cliff, that was just a you know, this, that was now the, the main focus. It really became sort of a, a strong goal of mine. Um, and there's, yeah, everything after that was, you know, how can I make enough skydives to be able to get the experience to then uh, go on a base jumping course and, and learn for myself. So uh, for people listening who might not know what base jumping is, could you just give a quick sort of idea briefly what it is and what you yeah. do? So the difference between base jumping and skydiving is the object you're jumping from. So skydiving is always from an aircraft, but that aircraft could be an airplane, it normally is, or a helicopter, a hot air balloon, a glider, a paraglider. It's always a moving, you know, object, a moving craft. While base jumping is always from a static object. So 
BASE is an acronym for Building Antenna Span and Earth. Span being a bridge and Earth being a cliff. Uh, but it's not limited to those four things. Um, so you can get really creative and jump off some pretty crazy objects. But but my my passion and my thing is is normally cliffs. God, amazing. And so with that, you you did the sort of uh, what do you call it? The training with with base jumping and mm. and then your idea because you've been sort of pushing, you know, these cliffs or pioneering you know different jumps around the world i saw you know you've got mount kenya you've got kyrgyzstan um you've been sort of pursuing these different countries and sort of focusing on first in in and around the world would with let's say mount kenya which you've done in the last sort of two or three years is this the sort of plan is you just it's that sort of thrill or finding somewhere, climbing up, and then seeing a sort of 150 meter drop, vertical drop, and being like, this is it. Yeah, I, I mean, so Mount Kenya was, took two trips to pull off, and I'm gonna go back to try and top what I've already done. But it's, it's not just the flight, you know, it's the whole package, uh, especially in a wingsuit, because in a wingsuit, you, you obviously fly as a, quite far you know i think i flew maybe a kilometer distance which isn't that far but it was it was limiting so it's figuring out where you're going to land the glide ratio is the exit point high enough to exit to then get a glide to sustain over the terrain um you know your flight path i could go left in between these two rock pillars or right and i could land here or there you know different options so there's a lot of calculations that go into it uh, and before you you know you book this trip you know, you're doing as much research as you can on Google Earth and asking locals. So there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, and then, of course, access. Like that was that was a big one for Mount Kenya. We had to climb this. Um, it's called Point John. So I think it was about six pitches of climbing. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it rather than just you know rocking up and jumping off. I th I think that was so it's, yeah. It's a whole package that I enjoy for sure. I think that was one of the interesting things that I I was really intrigued about with base jumping is the calculation the control with it mm. a lot of people probably sort of see it um more of like an adrenaline filled junkie sport where you just jump yeah. off you see you see a cliff and you're like oh this looks all right let's jump off but the calculations that go into it you know measuring the wind speed measuring the distance down with a sort of laser it there's so such control within it and do, do you feel that takes away this sort of idea of controlled fear that you talk about? Yeah, I mean, part of it for me is everything I do is a stepping stone to the next thing. So experience can, can really counteract fear, um, you know, because if there's something that's a little bit more technical or a little bit um, harder to, to pull off, then I can look back at something that I did that's very similar and say, well, I did that with a huge margin for error. So this one, it might have a smaller margin for error, but it's still within my, you know, still within what I'm, what I'm comfortable with. Um, and there's almost a, a tick list that I do, like a mental tick list. So when I'm at the exit point about to jump, you know, I haven't got 101 things floating around in my head thinking, have you packed it properly? Is it high enough? Is it, you know, all these different things, you know, I, I go through them and say, yeah, I've packed my rig, it's, it's done. I don't have to worry about that anymore. 
I've lasered it. I know where I'm going to land. It's done. It's done. It's done. And now I just focus on the, on the jump itself and what I need to do. Do you still get that fear though, from every jump of looking down over it? Um, or as you say, the sort of control that goes into it, is it more limited? It depends on the jump for sure. Like if I'm opening a new wingsuit jump, because there's so much uh, more than a, than a normal base jump without the wingsuit, then there's always a little bit of, uh, it's a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little bit more fear, a little bit more anxiety. I think I'd say, I wouldn't say fear. I think if I'm like, you know, petrified, if I'm actual, you know, fearful of my life, then I wouldn't jump. And there's been plenty of cases where I've said, no, I'm not doing this. Or I've, I've turned around. Um, but in a normal base jump, um, even opening a new exit, uh, I, I can go to an exit. I'm like, yeah, it's good to go jump. Like it's, it's, it's a lot calmer. <laughs> I suppose it's having that experience as well. And sort of al almost your gut feeling when you see something because of that experience you've built up over the years of doing this, your gut instinct yeah. as well will always have that sort of shaky feeling of being like, mm, something just feels off with this and then turning around. Whereas yeah. inexperienced people might just look at that and be like, well, I've come all the way up. I might as well. For sure. I, I think gut feelings, you know, when they say sixth sense, I don't think that's a paranormal thing. I think that's, that's a manifestation of something that in your subconscious that you've picked up on whether that is a smell or a feeling or something that you've seen at the corner of your eye um and it's so it's not it's not a gut feeling it's it's something that you've actually sensed uh telling you not to do it or you know everything's fine um so you get that from experience and i don't think yeah you, you guys don't have that experience to be able to maybe have, you know, that sort of same gut feeling. So one of the recent trips that you did was in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, with that, what was the idea around this trip? So Kyrgyzstan was, was a, a mountaineering trip um, with my wife, which was really cool to get her into the mountains. And it was, it was a new routing trip. So first ascents on mostly 4,000 meter peaks, but even I managed to get 5,000 meter peak. Uh, and we were invited by uh, a, a group of people because on these big expeditions, it's, you know, it's cheaper if you get a group together. So I think there were nine of us in total. Uh, and the group did amazing. Like we, we did a lot of first ascents and quite a few second ascents as well. Uh, but my, my base rig goes everywhere with me. So <laughs> on one of the down days, one of the rest days, I managed to shoot off and get one jump done. Oh, wow. And I imagine your wife does the same sort of thing. Is that how you met with base jumping? Yeah, so we met um, very early on in our base jumping careers. Um, and we met at a, sky, at a drop zone, a um, skydiving drop zone. Um, she was an instructor there at the weekends. Uh, <laughs> she was the one allocated with telling me off because I nearly hit the tail of the plane. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. Uh, so I opened my wingsuit too early and I caught air. It was a very fast moving plane. Um, they, they normally slow down quite a bit when you exit, but this one, this one didn't. And I was very close to hitting the tail. Um, so she, she, she came and gave me a stern telling off. And then I was love at first sight. 
That's it, pretty much. Uh, what And so what, throughout the last sort of five years or so, or six, seven, you've sort of been going away with her doing these base jumps and these first uh, descents. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's um, eight and a half years I've been jumping now. Um, and either pretty much the same. And it's been nice as well because it's not like I pressured her into the sport or we both were jumping already and we both started learning and progressing together. So it's been a really nice, you know, sort of journey to to learn from each other and really um, understand each other's risk and, and how we mitigate it and, and progress together, which has been really cool. Nice. And so in going back to sort of Kyrgyzstan, sorry, you, you were out with this group of people and you were there sort of traveling up the T... What's the mountain range? So the, the area is called the Tian Shan. Tian Shan, yeah. Um, I, yeah, and we were in one of the hundreds of valleys there. But um, yeah. And uh, so you were sort of there with the group, just uh, what, camping, not quite the bivy, I imagine. Yeah, no. <laughs> so we, we had a, a base camp. Uh, so this huge four by four Soviet um, truck crosses the river in the morning dumps us on the other side of the river and you've got you know like a mess tent with all your food in it you've got your individual tents and you, you it's, it's pretty established base camp and then from there it's about 12k up the glacier so every time we wanted to do a climb we'll we'll take our small uh, lightweight alpine tents go up the glacier set up camp do the climb come back down and then go back to base camp and kind of um, the teams would revolve you know different objectives and and different down days at, at base camp so we all had you know rest days and stuff yeah oh wow yeah it's it's such an amazing place uh kyrgyzstan it's uh just got the most incredible scenery yeah i mean i, I was really surprised like i i'd wanted to go there for ages and when uh, Dan, I, the, the leader, gave, gave me the opportunity, I was like, yeah, definitely. Like, especially if he's organizing everything and I can just jump on board. Um, but it's, yeah, just so much untouched, you know, mountains. Like, we, we're in a valley. I think we did some, like, seven first ascents and maybe four or five second ascents. And um, luckily, Eva and I were already acclimatized. So day one... Um, we went up the valley and we managed to climb um, a 5,000 meter peak. And that was the first time we, either of us had been at 5,000 meters. And it was a, a first ascent, a new summit. So it was, yeah, really, really cool to do it as a, as a married couple as well. <laughs> like it's, because uh, Eva hadn't been mountaineering for that long. So it was, yeah, really proud of her for, for getting that one. And that, that's with you and sort of the ice axe and hiking up, getting the getting to the top and not base jumping down. That's just getting to the top, that one. Yeah, that, that was, um, we graded it, I think it was AD minus. So it was um, quite a, a steep first section, maybe 200 meters of like 50 degree ice and snow. And then we, you, you hit a ridge line, I think it was the West Ridge. And then for you know a couple of hours, you're climbing along this at knife point ridge at some point onto the summit. Um, so yeah, that was, there was, there was no jumping on that one, unfortunately, but, um, so sometimes, you know, I, I focus a trip on climbing, but I always take my base rig. 
And then sometimes I focus a trick or a trip on base jumping, but I always take my climbing shoes. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always, you know, a trip as a focus, but, uh, I always want to get that extra little climb or jump in. And with that, you, what I have Nate, what I have seen is sometimes you ski down and then off the cliff. Um, mm. I imagine in Ky Kyrgyzstan, you weren't really doing that because it was probably less ski touring up. It was more. Yeah, no, it was, it was summer alpine climbing. So there was no skiing. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, we had a little bit of snow, but some of the faces would be incredible to ski, but it, yeah, definitely not in condition. So it was, um, yeah, solely, solely just climbing. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the ski base, um, there was a famous skier called Shane McConkey, and he kind of started this ski base idea, even though it was done in the, uh, the James Bond film, the spy who loved me. Um, but I, I used to watch, I used to grow up watching these films of Shane McConkey skiing off these cliffs. And so my, that was also like one of my main goals when I started base jumping is I wanted to do, do one of these, um, ski base. So my, my 21st base jump was a ski base, which probably isn't the progression most people take, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been going back to these places where Shane McConkey did, did his jumps a lot in the Dolomites in Italy and, and repeating them with with friends so it's yeah it's a pretty cool experience just to you know ski off a cliff with two three four hundred meters below you with your skis on and just you get this hang time you know where you ski off and you before you fall you're just kind of floating and then you start falling and it's yeah pretty unique experience yeah i bet what's the sort of feeling in your sort of stomach is it this the sort of sense of nothingness just before you drop yeah, because it's with with a base jump, you're you know you're pushing out and straight away you're falling, but with skiing, you you know you're hitting that that exit with speed, so you're you're punching out before you start falling. So it's yeah, it's just like nothing else. It's <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, no, it's incredible. And one of the uh, interesting things I heard about you was the time that you proposed to your wife. What was the what was the story there? So we, we did a Christmas trip to, um, to Cape Town, to South Africa, because my wife loves the, the coast as well. We both love jumping and I like climbing. So Cape Town kind of ticked all those boxes. He's got a bit of everything. Um, and I proposed as we were gearing up for a wingsuit jump. Um, she said, yes, thank God. We both jumped off. And it's quite a performance flight. You've got to reach this rugby field for the landing. Um, but we weren't flying that well. Um, there was a bit of headwind, but we were trying to fly together and we were limiting our speed and glide and performance. So Eva pulled early, had line twists, uh, and had to land in this shrubbery, this, this sort of shrubs and rocks. And uh, it, was, it was a bad landing area. And she landed downwind. So you're going as fast as the canopy flies, as well as getting pushed by the wind. So you always want to land into wind so it slows you down. Uh, and I saw her kind of like hit the ground and bounce. And uh, I tried to land nearby her opposite direction. She was kind of, kind of my windsock. I was like, I'm not going to jump that, I'm not going to land in that direction. So I landed fine, ran up to her and she was crying. And normally, like I've seen it before, she, you know, sprained ankle. She wasn't happy with the flight or something. And 
She's a bit upset. I thought it was that. I thought it was, you know, no issue. Maybe sprained ankle at the worst. And I saw blood coming out of the zip on her wingsuit. Um, so I unzipped the leg wing on the wingsuit and her shin just, just the skin on her shin just flopped down. So I said, do not look down here. <laughs> look back up there where, where I just proposed. And I, I ripped my shirt and I, I bandaged the, the flat, like about the size of my hand, I flapped it back up. And then we spent about two hours um, shuttling her and the bags back to the car. Because she, she wasn't bleeding out at all, um, and she wasn't in pain. Um, she didn't know how bad it was, though. Like, it was, it was pretty horrific. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Feynman's carrying her, put her down, go get the bags, come back with the bags. And then by the time I came back with the bags, she would be walking off. And I was, I was like, you do not know how bad it is. Just don't, don't walk anywhere. And then when we got to the first hospital, um, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a few hours wait, you know, A&E's busy. And then I undid the bandage and they were like, oh, OK, no, you can go straight in. Like, this is serious. So she was in surgery for the night and, uh, yeah, lost the wedding, lost the engagement ring while she was in, under, under the knife. So I was <laughs> lost the GoPro with the footage. But, uh, but she still says that was the best holiday yet. So... Yeah, apart from that, it was a it was a good one. Well, it's certainly one that you won't forget in a hurry. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's amazing that you both have that sort of passion together. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I could do it any other way. You know, Eva hasn't jumped uh, this year at all, and we might be doing her first jump back into it uh, this weekend. But um. But she's enjoying the mountains, you know, in either way, we're, we're just out there in the mountains. But I don't think I could have a relationship where we didn't share a passion that consumes all of my free time. You know, it's like I wouldn't want to split my free time in between doing something I don't really want to do just for the sake of, you know, that, that's why she's my wife, because she's perfect for me. But uh, <laughs> it works well. I suppose for people listening, um, again, going sort of back to base jumping itself, I, 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 before the podcast, I was sort of saying it's, it sounds like it's a bit like a sort of shark attack. You only hear the bad stuff about it. Yeah. And I think what's very interesting is how you've sort of spoken about how sort of controlled it is in a sense like what planning goes into it everything down to where it's just after the uh, accident story yeah <laughs> no no for sure um, I, mean, what... I, I took my parents um to see us base jumping because they were very much under the same sort of idea that you know it's just carnage it's just and don't get me wrong there are a lot of people that it is just carnage you know and i, I think there's a difference between a stunt you, you can do base jumps that are stunts, but then you can also do base jumping as sort of a, a passion, as a hobby, as a sport. Uh, and that's definitely the, the way that I do a lot of my jumps. Um, and um, our, my parents came to see us uh, and they thought the same. They thought it was carnage, people hurting themselves left, right and center. Just, yeah, just, you know, going full throttle without any calculations. And we, we took them and we sat them right on the exit point so they could, so they could see. And they just, they commented on like how careful and how, 
how much consideration there was, and at the end of the day, how calm it was, you know, the whole process. Um, so it was, it was really nice for them to see, like, it, I think it calmed their nerves quite a bit. Um, but you're right, like, you know, the Daily Mail with their shock headlines, they love buying up videos of, of base jumpers crashing. And, uh, and I, I, I do, you know, I, I sell some of my footage, but it, I don't think I've ever sold any footage of like me crashing or carnage footage and me selling the footage of my achievements always comes with the caveat of, of you, you need to explain like how much hard work and how much training goes into these, into these jumps, because it isn't just, you know, a stunt that you, you know, figure out how to jump in an afternoon, you go do it the next day. It's years and years of planning. Yeah, because I think people will sort of see that the line between jumping and falling, let's say, it's such a drastic difference. There's no sort of leeway of like, oh, it, you could injure yeah. yourself. It's really life or death. But with the sort of control that you have with it, I mean, it just, yeah, it makes such a huge difference. And those who sort of go out and give the sport such a bad name, I imagine for you, is just like a real kick in the teeth. Yeah, I mean, it has a lot of knock-on effects, you know, like like events, you know, events get cancelled because people have accidents and it becomes, you know, a viral accident and events say, we don't want base jumpers anymore. Like, you know, and that, those events are, you know, really good for the community. Uh, ways of some people making a living and and bringing a good name to base jumping insurance you can't it's very hard to get insurance now and is that because you know too many people are making bad decisions but it, it you know selling these videos does does have a knock-on effect that you know people don't always realize um but yeah how big is this is. how big is the sort of community within base jumping because i know like different sports different mm. adventure in the sort of yeah. whole sphere of adventure or the adventure industry base jumping's a sort of good little section and i imagine it's got a very small yeah. tight-knit community it's that every, yeah. everyone knows everyone they really do oh, and if everyone doesn't know everyone it's, it's at least just one you know stop between knowing the next person so wh wherever i travel in the world I can find somebody in that country to jump with or find somebody who has jumped there and will be willing to give me information. You know, it's, it's a really, really small community and it definitely is growing. Like it's getting bigger and bigger. There are more and more courses each year, um, which has, you know, is part of the problem, but also education is a great, obviously a great thing and knowledge is there to be shared. Um, but you know, more people in the sport also dilutes the ethics, and and there's going to be more problems and more accidents, and but that's you know that's part of a growing sport. Yeah, I think it always happens when these sort of new sports come out because the base jumping, what really only came to mainstream, what 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th I think it reached the peak when. Everyone wanted to be part of it. You know, you had some really big brands sponsoring it. Um, and then it got a little bit more popular. There were more accidents, more fatalities. And now a lot of people don't want to touch it. You know, it's uh, understandably. But, uh, you know, a lot of famous climbers have died base jumping. 
Um, so understandably, climbing companies don't really want to touch base jumping now either. Um, Red Bull used to, you know, promote the most hardcore wingsuit lines and stuff like that. And, and now they're not after that, you know, it's not a sustainable way of flying. So it's, they're after, you know, creative things to, to shoot and to report about. Yeah, that, that was actually my next question of whether Red Bull, because, you know, 10 years ago, uh, you would see the, what's it, sale uh, soundtrack to, I can't remember his name. Yeah, on every video ever. On every vi- video. Um, yeah. well, I kind of, what was his name? It was, he was very famous back yeah, then. Yeah, Jed Corliss. That's the one. And so Red Bull just had their names all over everything, but now you don't yeah. see it so much? No. No, I mean, there's there have been people who have died at events or on shoots for brands. So it's, yeah, it's not, it's not a sustainable way of, of doing things, you know, <laughs> killing your athletes. Yeah. And um, so with um, these sort of firsts that you are doing, what's, um, what's the next one that you have in mind? Well, so the, the next, it's taken six or seven years to finally get to finishing this project that I'm on at the moment called, uh, I'm calling it North Base. So the idea is to climb all six North Faces of the Alps. It's called the Great Six North Faces of the Alps uh, and wingsuit from them. Um, so I've got left, I've got one left. Um, so hopefully that will be done this summer. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's so niche and tedious to say like you're the first at doing something like this. But for me, it's, it's, it's something that's taken so long and, and a lot of training to, to be able to climb some of these routes that were way above my limit to begin with. Um, so for me, it's, it's going to be a big tick in the box having that done. Um, but yeah, I've just got to, to wingsuit off the Matterhorn uh, and then that, that'll be that project done. So, so nobody's climbed and jumped these, these six North faces before. So that'll be a, a first. Wow. That- um, yeah. A few other little countries and, and high Alpine projects and things that I'm looking at, but, um, yeah, all depends on conditions and partners and, and financing and everything. So we'll see if it comes together. I suppose, like, for you, it's doing it for the love of the sport. But I know, you know, when it comes to sponsorship and branding, brands sort of love, like, a sort of first or the fastest or this. So it has some yeah. sort of media angle. Um, so I imagine that's probably, although I'm the six out, North faces. So, have you actually done any so far? Yeah, so I've I've done uh, f- five of them. Um, so it's only only the Matterhorn. Some I haven't been able to wingsuit the same day as I climb them because the climbing conditions are different to the jumping conditions. Um, so I've got to to wingsuit the Matterhorn and climb the North face of the Grand Jurass. Um, but I've winked to it and climbed all the others. So that's the north face of the Eiger, north face of Pisbadil, wingsuit Grand Jurass, climbed the north face of the Matterhorn, and climbed and jumped uh, the north face of Trashim. Um So yeah, just, just one more to get. Well, the wingsuit of the Matterhorn and the climb of Grand Jurass. Uh, and, and sorry, the Drew, the, um, the north face of the Drew, and the uh, wingsuit that last summer. Yeah. Is a plan to do the Matterhorn in the summer? 
Yes. Yeah. It, it was it was so annoying. I climbed it. I think it was October or November. Really, really good conditions. Uh, and we got to the summit and we were so worn out. I can't remember how many hours, something like 10 hours of pretty sustained climbing on the north face. Cold, hungry, wet, tired. And we topped out and there was no wind whatsoever. You know, at 4,000 meters altitude, no wind, which is perfect conditions for jumping in a wingsuit. Uh, so instead of being back down to the valley floor in two minutes, it took, well, it took six hours to get down to the hut and then from the hut another four hours so over two days it took 10 hours to get down where I, when i could have just flown down in two minutes <laughs> but i have to go back up what what ha sorry does someone always take all your stuff down because i the wingsuit is completely when you're sort of getting from your climbing gear into your wingsuit mm. how uh, it all comes down with you all comes down with you yeah yeah which is to me also part of the you know as, as i was saying with like the um kenya you know the part of it is the preparation it's figuring it all out and you know it'd be lovely to have an extra guy who can take stuff down uh and sometimes you're lucky and you've got a partner or you're climbing as a three uh but normally i climb with a with a good friend of mine uh who wingsuits as well so you know you make it work um which means maybe uh, being a little bit more confident uh, of the route so you can take less gear, less rope, thinner rope, less ice screws, less trad protection. Um, and then, yeah, it all goes in the wingsuit. So we can take 60 meters, can either wrap it around your stomach or put, put it down the legs. Um, we've got special lightweight crampons, uh, the ice axe, you can take the head off and we put it down our shins. So, yeah, it all comes. God, I did not think that. I, I suddenly just when you were sort of saying you went up and then wings it all, I was like, okay, well there must be someone there to sort of take it all down. The poor sod, <laughs> he's sort of there going, ah, oh, crap, I've got all this to take. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you're just stuffing stuff in pockets. Like it gets. There's definitely been flights that have been hindered because I've got stuff poking out of me and a, a climbing shoe or something. But it's but normally you can make it work. Ah, oh, that's, that's incredible. Wow. Um, God, and so, the, yeah, the summer, that should be absolutely amazing. And you, your plan is to film everything and, and send it yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's taken six years, so it started with some sketchy old GoPro footage, and, and now the footage is getting better and better. But I definitely want to, you know, cobble something together and, and uh, yeah, put it all together and see, see what I can make from it. On some sort of, like, mini documentary, or just even, yeah, like, a GoPro... Do well documentary gopro <laughs> yeah something like that <laughs> <laughs> wow that yeah. should that should be absolutely amazing well Cheers, man. tim there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week sure uh which the first one being what's the one gadget that you always take with you on these trips i think that would have to be for my 18th birthday, my uh, my godfather gave me a, a multi-tool. Um, and that's that's just come everywhere. You know, my, my whole career in the military was getting used and in every expedition it, it comes with. So that's that's a must-have. Yeah. Very nice. Uh what about your favorite adventure book? Um so there's a book that I read a couple of years ago. Uh I think it's called War Doctor. Um by David Knotts, 
Um, and I, I don't use the word inspiring much, but it is, it's just incredible. And I, you know, adventure might be the wrong word, but this, this guy has done just some incredible stuff around the world. And it is, yeah, like definitely some chapters brought me to tears. Like it is, it's insane. The stuff that guy got up to. But, oh, wow. uh, yeah, that's a must read. Oh, I'll, I'll go and check that out. Um, mm. Why why are these sort of trips and adventures important to you? For me, I think it's important for, for everyone to have a goal, you know, to have, have a challenge to push themselves because um, otherwise you're just, just killing time, aren't you? <laughs> Your life is just killing time. And where, whatever that goal is, you know, playing an instrument or whatever, but, but my goal and my challenge is uh, to, you know, climb up mountains and jump off them. So <laughs> that's what keeps me busy. Keeps, keeps life interesting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what about your favorite quote? Um, so I, I, was, I was trying to think of a, of a good quote earlier. Um, I, I couldn't really, um, the ones that I was trying to search for, cause I, I had them in the back of my mind, but I couldn't get the words exact. So I, I couldn't find them, but I was, I was thinking that there's a, there's a poem called, um, Desiderata and it's every single line is a quote that I would want to live by. You know, it is, it's a phenomenal poem that you can't, you can't, like there's the statements you can't disagree with. They're just it's, it's a short poem. It's definitely anybody listening to this, look it up because it is, it's phenomenal. Uh, Desi Dorata. Um, yeah. Uh, 101 quotes in there. Well, I think there's like 20 lines, so 20 quotes in there, but, uh, but they're all good. Ones to live by. Yeah. For people listening, what's the one thing that you would recommend for people wanting to get started in base jumping? In base jumping, particularly. Um, so base jumping is a weird one because you don't start base jumping by base jumping. You start base jumping by skydiving. Um, but I think no matter what you want to get into, whether it's mountaineering, hill walking, climbing, base jumping, if you really want it, you can find a way. You know, so many people have said to me and my wife, oh, you know, you you must have, your parents must have helped you financially or whatever, like, but you know, we, we learned skydiving by becoming a packer, you know, packing rigs for money so I could pay for my jumps. You know, you find a way and if you want it bad enough, you will find a way. Um, apart from that, it's just excuses, you know, like I can't do it because of my time or my money or like, you know, I, I changed my lifestyle and, you know, sleeping in laybys and cars and eating pasta every day just so i could go on climbing trips at the weekends and stuff so um but getting into base jumping yeah it it means spending a lot of time just sitting around at the drop zone waiting for a weather window so it's it's a lot of dedication for sure yeah it's it's about sort of prioritizing what you really love and exactly if there's something yeah. you really love you will go you know to the top yeah, to prioritizing. Have that's that's so true, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's definitely about prioritizing. Yeah, you will literally make everything you'll sacrifice. You will cut yeah. everything out just to make you sure you can do that. It's just yeah. having that. St- and what's amazing, you know, I, I get a lot of people asking me about how to get into base jumping. And, and I, I teach courses, you know, once or twice a year. And it's amazing to see when somebody sent me a message four years ago saying, oh, I want to go base jumping. And I say, you need to do around 200 skydives first. And they come back, you know, two, three years later saying, I've done them. Let's go base jumping. And that to me is just awesome because it, it just shows the level of commitment and dedication that some some people have taken to to achieve their goals, you know? Yeah, and it is so true. It's just you will sacrifice heaven and earth just to make sure that you can do whatever you set your mind to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, some healthy, some not, you know, whether you cut off. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but Tim, how can uh, people find you and follow your story? On Instagram and Facebook is, as Tim Howell Adventure. Uh, and I have a website that I, I write some blogs and put some pictures up as well, uh, which is also timhowadventure.com. But um, yeah, take, take a look if you've got some time. Well, we'll put a link in the description below Thanks uh, very much, with man. a link to your Instagram and everything. God, it's been actually such a pleasure listening to your story and hearing all about it. Thanks very much, John. Cheers, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You can watch the podcast on YouTube now and don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast if you're listening on Apple. I hope to see you next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures.